Fruiting season, baby. Welcome. ABC. To the Illuminati podcast. You've got Nathan, Stieg, and Steph here tonight. Uh, Colin um, alleged that he was wide open this week, agreed to the 9 o'clock start time, and no-showed. Oh, he just said, oh, uh, someone needed something. I hope you started without me. Well, we did. Uh, We don't need you. Um, We we can probably, hopefully, do this by ourselves. Um, So, guys, it's it's fruit and season, as I said. We're, what, two weeks? uh, What, like 13 days away from uh, the late signing period starting on, uh, I believe, February 5th. New head coach Jeff Scott has finalized his coaching staff. He's got some quality control coaches in, and he uh, went NBA jams on fire over the weekend. Uh, They had seven guys come in for official visits, and he got seven commits out of those official visits. Um, That is some efficiency that uh, USF has not seen since uh, maybe ever because uh, USF has always historically been a poor three-point shooting team. Um, but we'll get into that a bit later. Uh, it's hard to see. Uh, you know, a lot of times you don't really go perfect on official visits. You you may get four or five guys to commit right away, but over the course of four days, Jeff Scott got all seven guys in. There were a couple guys who didn't make the trip. Um. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to divulge who, uh, but the, a couple guys weren't didn't make it. Um, but real quick, let's run down the the, the commits that have uh, decided to take their talents to USF since over the weekend. Uh, you've got Holden Willis, a tight end from Tennessee, um, Cesarez from Chamberlain, uh, Uriah Green from North Carolina, Tramal Logan from. Fort Pierce, if memory serves, I, I apologize. From, uh, Logan's from uh, Booker T. Washington in Miami. Well, Booker T., pardon me. Um, Gilbert Edmond is from Fort Pierce, Westwood. That's what it was. Uh, so Gilbert Edmond as well. Um, Sincere Brown uh, committed on Sunday. Uh, let's see. Who else am I missing? Katrina's is that Marsh. it? Marsh, uh committed on Sunday. Um, I mean, that was a huge pull, uh, especially after losing Tate Rodemaker to Florida State, getting that second freshman quarterback in to go along with Jordan McLeod and Cade Forden was huge. Um, We'll see if other quarterbacks, um, you know, decide to show up. Jeff Scott said on the radio yesterday, I guess, that they've – kind of filled all their scholarship spots and their their class is pretty much done. And um, by my count, that seems to be about right because you're kind of pushing up to the threshold where, well, we still got to save some room for the potential transfers uh, during spring and whatnot. Um, so that definitely does make sense. But, uh, you know, right off the bat here, uh, guys, what – what has uh, kind of stuck out to you with that this you know twenty twenty recruiting class under Jeff Scott? Um, what what was important and what got finalized for you that maybe Jeff Scott's the the right guy and the right person to kind of lead this team going forward after 
salvaging that class in about two and a half weeks of true head coachingness. I, I mean, I think it's kind of a reflection of the staff he's put together, uh, partially as well, because you can see a lot of the guys they've brought in were in uh, kind of near some of the places their coaches had been previously. Um, I'm sure a lot of those guys in the Carolinas, first you got um, Joey King, who I think was coaching at Coastal Carolina, and he was also a high school head coach in Georgia famously. Then you got those guys from FAU who are down in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area on the east coast of Florida. You know, so you pull a couple guys out of Miami. Um, you pull you pull a, lo- a couple local guys, and then uh, I think that I think the guys from the Carolinas could be um, guys not only that maybe were being recruited by Coach King while he was at Coastal Carolina, but these are probably also guys, and this would include. Um, uh, Omarion Dollison from the, the sign earlier. These are probably guys that Jeff Scott had in camps at Clemson that he's probably kept an eye on that maybe weren't quite at the level for Clemson to offer them a scholarship, but he probably kept tabs on them. And then once he got this job, the, you saw the offers go out quickly to Dollison and Sincere Brown and guys like that. So I think it, to me, it shows uh, somebody having a plan. Also, when you go seven for seven on official visits, I don't doubt that he probably had a pretty good idea in mind that if he got these guys on campus, you may you may come out with this seven for seven and get a lot of momentum quickly for uh, your new staff and and going into that season ticket push. So I think it shows a guy with a really good plan. No, absolutely. And you can kind of just see the aura. uh, And feel it around the program. I mean, we're we're talking very basic things. We're talking recruiting which is pretty much just coaching one-on-one is, is getting these guys to come on campus and everything. But the energy around the program is just, I, I hadn't seen this ever under uh, former um, head coach, Charlie Strong. But the, the impressive thing for me is the fact that it was clear that these kids that committed either had previous relationships with someone under um, Scott's coaching staff or had some sort of communication prior and the relationships that they're building with the players just are, are going beyond the school themselves. You know, they're these are kids that are, I hate to say, are, are following coaching. Um, but it's 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 very nice to see loyalty in a sense um, towards these the staff, and then have all these um, you know former players come out and say such positive things about every single one of them. Kind of goes even further to say that this is a very good coaching staff. We haven't even seen what playbook they're going to use. We don't even know what offense they're going to run, but you can already tell that they're making an immediate impact in the 10 Bay area when they're not even recruiting the area yet. Right. And that, you know, I think that was, that was important to um, kind of build those relationships and at least keep tabs as Seth said on some of the guys that just quite weren't up to Clemson's, you know, standard of recruit. Um, because I think I think Jeff always kind of knew, you know, sooner or later that he was going to be getting a head coaching job, and it happened to be this this cycle. So, you know, always keeping tabs on the guys that just aren't quite good enough uh, for Clemson, at least. Um, but these guys are skilled. Like Mario Dallison is is a, a legit playmaker. Uh, Travis Marsh was uh, committed to Utah for a good chunk. Um, 
of, of the year before uh, decommitting, and they got someone else. Um, they had, these uh, are they good. Had Bentley trans. They had Bentley uh, grad transfers from South Carolina, so I wonder if that was kind of right. Yep, I think that I think that kind of played a part uh, in it because I think he was trying to look maybe potentially look to play right away. Um, and you know, so that I mean, that's Pac-12. That's like Utah was, you know, what one? They were top ten in the country for uh, year. And then the, the, was it the Pac-12 championship game they laid the egg? I can't remember. It, yeah, football season so far behind. Like, I mean, they they were what a you don't lay an egg and there's an outside shot that they're in the playoff kind of thing. Like they were they were legit good. Um, and and to see someone that decided to you know stay closer to home and and try to build on something that you know we we bottomed out here. Um, it's it's nice to see, and you know, Kit Travis's. There's some similarities with Quentin Flowers. You know, he Travis had some other options and decided to, you know, at least stay in Florida. And I think he's probably a little bit better of a passer, uh, probably coming in than Quentin Flowers was. Just looking at the, you know, the raw stats and numbers, but it, it's going to be fun to see him mature and. Um, you know, if Jordan Smith stays in as well, I think those two are going to really stabilize the the quarterback room for the for the next couple of years. Uh, but I saw you know, I saw Marsh play a few times last year, um, and he I think um, his numbers aren't you know eye popping, but they like they had three really good backs and like to run the ball a lot, and their receivers weren't great. There weren't like when you think Miami Central skill guys, I don't think they were quite at that level. But he has a ridiculously strong arm. Um, you know, when you see him and you saw he's committed to Utah, you say, okay, that makes sense. Like, he's he's tall. He's a little skinny, but that's, you know, whatever. He's a good athlete. He can run. And he's got a really, really strong arm. So I think he's got kind of all the physical tools you'd want. And, um, you know, just reading interviews and things like that with him, he seems to have a pretty big, good grasp of the game as well. And uh, it's always good when you can get state champions. Speaking of right. champions, great segue to what I was going to actually talk about. One guy that I I immediately jumped out on film, Gilbert Edmond, man. Yeah, has probably the weirdest little blurb about him from high school is he played wide receiver freshman year, sophomore year, and junior year. And in the spring of his senior year, switched to defensive end and then just absolutely dominated. And that's, I mean... That's not an easy transition. He's that that's that's quite a different play style to go from uh obviously a big playmaking wide receiver that he, he he was undoubtedly was to making just as many big plays on the defensive line. Uh I think he had four or five defensive touchdowns and he actually sealed the um district let me double check what this was. Yeah, the district 11-6A championship game uh, recovered uh, a game-winning fumble recovery uh, scoop and score for a touchdown. I mean, the, the kid was an absolute freak of an athlete his entire senior year and had a few visits lined up to FSU and Tennessee. Both of them need defensive end prospects. They were probably looking at this guy saying, you know, he's at least a raw prospect that we can mold into a, a you know, a, a skilled speed rusher. Now we have Dequan Bowers coaching him. He might he might be one of the guys that we see a lot out of his freshman year just because he's a pure freak athlete. 
Right. And, you know, going into next year, uh, I think that's going to be key here. Um, let me pull this up real quick as my next question to to you guys. With this recruiting class, did, did USF fill the needs that you saw that were glaring last season? Uh, the, the guys that they've brought in at quarterback, you know, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, it, it, defense. I'm basically naming every single unit. Uh, defense and defensive tackle. Have they brought in guys that can either contribute right away or help in the process of rebuilding uh, USF football to uh, respectable territory? Absolutely. <laughs> oh. Was that a ghost? What's up, Oh, guys? man. Oh, What's going on, bud? Gosh, so I re- quiet, ruined quiet. the train of thought there. That's here. <laughs> Yeah, I would say uh, to your question, Nathan, I would say uh, I thought like the biggest thing they lacked last year was a lot of explosiveness. And it seems like Dollison is an explosive player. Uh, Brian Batty, who or Beatty, who was with a a recruited last staff, is another explosive player. Um, Sincere Brown is a big, tall on film, he looks like a really tall, explosive player. So I think they brought in some explosiveness, which is needed. And then if they get some guys back from last year, whether it was guys that were suspended or um, I know they had a receiver that transferred in that wasn't able to play last year that was uh, said to be pretty explosive. Um, and then kind of whatever they add, I think that was kind of a big problem uh, on the offensive side is you didn't have a lot of explosive players. It seems like you've got some of those, which is key. Um, not a lot of offensive linemen sign in this class. I think you will get some internal development at that position with guys that have played. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if they're not done looking at offensive linemen, maybe looking for uh, uh, some transfers there to fill that need. But I, I thought offensively, at least, their biggest problem was they didn't have a lot of explosive players and guys that could win in space. And they seem to have got a few of them. How many of those guys are going to be able to play their first year? That's always the question. But I know um, they've also kind of filled that in the transfer portal with Darian Felix, who is a guy that can take a short pass to the distance and um, depending on what else they get there. So I I think they've addressed some needs. Obviously, I think up front is probably another one, Um, but I think that one's probably still going to be spoken for later down the line. I was about to say, um, there's a a strong possibility that we might see a completely different 11 offensive players start this year. Um, obviously, you know, you, you bring in a new quarterback. Uh, Jordan Cronkright graduated. Mitchell Wilcox graduated. Offensive line had a lot of woes. Uh, wide receivers had a lot of woes. And so it, it seems like in a, a kind of history kind of speaks for itself where a coach kind of comes in and, and breaks it all down and says, all right, open competition everywhere. You know, who's to say that, you know, Randall St. Felix starts next year for USF or, you know, anyone on the offensive line that was playing last year um, gets a start. But, you know, it, we'll see probably completely different offense that is just going to be broken down from the very good go. I mean, I, I really honestly think that they filled a lot of the issues that they had with the transfers that they have with the new freshmen. Um, and then, of course, we have the freshmen and sophomores that didn't play um, last year. So 
I think they did an excellent job of of looking at what was given to them and really assessing where they need to focus. And it clearly, like Seth said, it's explosiveness. I mean, there's a reason why we signed all these wide receivers and corners and safeties. But man, it's it's looking it's looking like they're finding the ways to fix things. I would love to have seen like two or three more offensive linemen. Um, I know that there's a few transfers out there. I think um, one of Alabama's backup left tackles just announced he was transferring. Um, he's got one year of eligibility, and he's probably going to be eligible right away. So, you know, there's there's still possibility there. But and you'll I, get me, well, you'll I, get more guys after spring football too. After, kind yeah. of after spring, it's different places you'll get guys, which you know maybe maybe they're saving a few scholarships for that that kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. Another thing that's kind of interesting about everybody they signed is they have not signed a lot of very small people, or they've not they've not they don't they didn't get commits from a lot of very small people. Um, obviously, the linemen are big, but the receivers are both. You have Dawson, who's a little bit smaller, but the other two guys that have committed are six four and six four. Um, Gilbert Edmonds six four. Uh, Logan's six three. Reyes is six five, two eighty seven. I mean, so they're kind of signing. You can kind of see that profile. They like it outside receivers. Those kind of bigger guys. So that's kind of been interesting to see kind of what they're targeting as well. Right. And I think um, if memory serves, only three guys that have committed uh, to USF right now or signed um, are under six feet. So it's Petit, Dawson, and I think one of the corners. Yeah, one of the corners is like five ten or five eleven. So yeah, yeah. So those guys, uh, they realize there there's a height deficiency, um, and I you know that's important. You know, maybe these guys are six four one seventy right now, but uh, you get them into college and you can probably get them up to two hundred two ten pretty pretty quickly within the summer, you know, summer into fall or within a, you know, a year, you know, if they hit their, their, their red shirt year uh, hard, it, it's important to, you know, get the big body frame guys who can at least grow into their body in college. Um, I know I grew into my body in college. So. I grew out of mine. Actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, it, it's, ex, it's an exciting time. Um, but I think we need to still, you know, tamper down some expectations for this team. You know, Jeff Scott's saying all the right things, doing all the right things, especially, you know, social media has been a thousand times better, but you know, is, uh, real quick, that, that's one more thing I, I wanted to mention earlier is the coordination of the staff and especially on like social media. This morning, they all almost nearly this, you know, they, they seem there seemed to be some coordination with messaging and things like that, that um, I don't know. I didn't really notice that as much in the last step. You'd see some guys go out and really use social media and use it as a tool when they were recruiting. And then you see other guys, you never see anything from them. So I thought that, that's another kind of interesting aspect is kind of how they're using, how, how coordinated they seem to be. Right. I think that. Sorry, I, I was gonna say I think that's I think that speak to testament of how deprived we were of this for the past three years because I'd be honest, they're doing the bare minimum. <laughs> they're posting pictures and just I mean Jeff Scott will occasionally post a, a video here and there, but you know, they're not doing anything outstanding and out, 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 out extraordinary. 
but it, it's it's very nice to see that they're doing the little things right on social media and, and marketing in itself. So here's yep, a question: do you, do you, Is that a is that a uh, Jeff Scott's came in and said this is how we're going to do things, or is that a Michael Kelly saying we need to engage because the last staff did not, or a little bit of both? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I, think, yeah. I knew that was going to be the answer too. Anyway, yeah, it still feels. I mean, it feels better, but I mean, you know, it's not unlike what Willie was doing when the Taggart was around. I know a lot of people got fired up, just kind of like, oh, he's saying uh, these, you know, these quotes, and it makes me feel good when I wake up and seeing that, or I see at five a.m. my coaches tweeting something about coming back from an air uh, from a flight. Like, I know it seems really mundane, but. I mean, kind of engages the fan base, and uh, I mean, right. he retweeted something that there was another, not uh, not Jeff Scott, but somebody else tweeted that there's more season ticket accounts being being purchased, and also there's more uh, money going into the IPF, so or the football center. So whether or not that means anything right now, it's at least seeming like, hey, there's a little bit of momentum, which you know, three sixty five ago wasn't there. Like, I hope everyone realizes that, like, this is all fantastic and this is what it's exactly what the program needs. You know, we needed someone to come in, light a fire and get people excited. We're winning three games next year. <laughs> so is it coming? Wow. Wow. And, and that's coming from the optimist. So is that coming yeah. from like, let's get let's get ahead of this and let's get a shovel in the ground, knowing that we have a lot of work to do? Oh, yeah. I think yeah, I mean, it's definitely striking while the iron's hot on a, a new coaching hire. Um but I think, uh, you know, I, they're not going to come right out and say, hey, we're going to be terrible this year. They, you know, they're going to say, you know, we got the pieces. We can be competitive. We can, you know, win some games here. Uh, but we've got to be realistic. You know, a coaching staff can only do so much, um, you know, coaching up these guys. It's, you know, where does the talent run out on some of these guys? And, you know, the, Charlie's recruiting classes weren't, especially great and hopefully there's some development uh from that and they hit the portal hard i I still think offensive line needs to be a little addressed a little bit more i think you know the left side of the line is probably fine with donovan jennings and demetrius harris and then you know brad cecil as well but that right side is gonna have to be completely retooled and you know looking at the options uh they're they're not great um you know people who have have played in games gene marcellus garrett hopple they they were turnstiles uh when they came in and and it it needs to change i don't know who someone needs to step up that entire i think the the focus of spring is going to be trying to figure out who is going to be our right guard and right tackle moving forward and I think that's going to be key. I think that's going to be the main story. You'll, I, I believe you'll see improvement from the offensive line next year, just for, um, just for just the just the kind of internal development a little bit. Them just developing with the staff. Um, coach uh, Mo from who, uh, the new offensive line coach from that came from FIU is uh, really well thought of. I know he recruited. Um, my brother was a, a high school head coach who recruited that area, and he's a guy that would like go sit down with the offensive line coach at high school and talk with him for two hours and really build relationships. So I think he's going to be another guy that guys like to play for. Um, but I think they'll get better just kind of 
having another year under the belt. And I think scheme could help them too if they bring similar scheme from FAU. If this this all kind of depends on if they have some more explosiveness on the outside. FAU did a lot of RPO stuff. So you can kind of help the offensive line out by giving them easier boxes to run into or we're only, good, we're only running if we have a really advantageous uh, box or situation. If a linebacker drops out to cover pass, now we're running, it's much easier to run the ball. But, you know, they tried to do that last year and you had, um, you know, the quarterback bouncing a pass out to a guy on the RPO or you had people just playing man coverage, which is tougher against RPO if you just play man. And they just playing basically cover zero because nobody could run by anyone. So right. if if they do have those more explosive guys, and now you can't play zero because we can throw it over the top, and our quarterback can hit these short little intermediate throws, then that will make it easier to run the ball. So you may see some improvement. Uh, and they weren't a terrible, you know, despite kind of how it felt, they weren't terrible running the ball last year. Yeah. But the RPO stuff can help in pass protection, too, by kind of limiting who's coming. And then if people do blitz, well, it's kind of built in. If this linebacker blitzes, I'm throwing it I'm throwing it to the slant to the number two receiver. So if they are RPO heavy, like they showed a little bit of FAU, it could help even if the line isn't that much better than last year. As I mentioned, the uh, offensive line is going to be huge, especially on the right side. Uh, going into the spring, you only really have two scholarship quarterbacks because you're two new guys aren't going to get there until the summer. You've got Jordan McLeod, the incumbent, and Cade Ford in the UNC transfer. Uh, we, you know, before we started recording, Seth, we we discussed, um, you know, what's the possibility of Jordan, um, you know, leaving. I, I mentioned to you, it doesn't really make sense to leave right now unless someone else gets thrown into the mix for spring practice. But when – you know, you guys are splitting the reps 50-50. You've got to at least take the shot, right? That to at least put yourself forward and be be that guy going into fall camp. I, th- I think it'll depend on you know who's out there lurking. There's a there's kind of a, a quarterback out there that maybe casting a shadow over the proceedings uh, this spring. Who would that be, Steve? I couldn't think of anything funny. Chase Bryce. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the guy that um, was a backup at Clemson was well regarded by everyone there. Um, the year before this year, he kind of uh, brought them back or led a drive to win the game against Syracuse, I believe, that kept them in the national title hunt. They ended up winning it, obviously. Uh, played for Jeff Scott, not directly, but for his offense. So I think that's the guy that's out there. And then if he's a guy that comes in, Let's say you are Jordan McLeod. Let's say you're, you know, maybe you're, maybe Cade Fortin had a little better spring than you when you're, now you might be third in line. Do you want to do you stay? Or is that, do you, is that when you start thinking possibly? Because Bryce has two years, Fortin has at least three, right? So, yeah, he's three. You know, if you feel like you're third behind those guys, well, you only got three left yourself. So, is that you get a point there where, hey, I want to play, or is it kind of I don't I don't know. Maybe you do say, well, you know, these guys are gonna have to take it from me. I don't know. That's just something that if you do get another guy in, if they bring, I think that also be a sign. If they bring Chase Bryce in, he's coming in to start. He's not coming in to be in a battle. They're not gonna bring Chase Bryce in to be like, all right, now you're coming in here and you're they're bringing in a man because after spring they said, okay, we need Chase Bryce. 
They'll know. And what about Kirk? Sorry, Kirk. All right, man. I appreciate your your uh, contributions to the squad. <laughs> Thank you for and everything this, that you've this, done. In this episode, Kirk is a red shirt. <laughs> I get, does anybody get that? A good old Horton, Star Trek reference. I don't know if we talked about it, but is Horton eligible? Yep. Yeah, he's immediately eligible. Okay. Yeah, he's a graduate transfer. With three years? Um, he's a, he went, so. and got, his a, he went and got his AA. Smart man. Smart he man. went to a junior yeah, college and got his associates. So he's got and then three years. Turned down going to Vanderbilt. As you should. <laughs> um, you know, there was some news, I guess. Uh, Mike Hampton decided to come back um, for his senior year. Huge. Uh, so that was definitely a thing that was also a possibility, I guess. Um, <laughs> the I'm happy that he's back. I'm happy that he's back. I didn't know that uh, it was a possibility for him to be leaving. Um, so good job. Um, Patrick Macon. I don't know if we talked about this. Patrick Macon did not get his medical red shirt. So he's done. The linebacker depth is, you know, took a hit. Um, we'll, we'll see what goes on from there. Um, I think that's kind of it for football right now. I think we'll have, we'll probably have one or maybe one or two more podcasts um, before signing day. We'll definitely have a signing day wrap up podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some other, other things going on in the USF uh, universe. I think we need to, you know, quickly address it. Uh, men's basketball has been, um, Brutal, uh, to say the least, over the last ooh months, month and a half or so. Um, you know, there since that that tournament, that Sunshine State tournament with uh, Florida State and Utah State. You know, when they went down to Sunrise to play Florida State, the Bulls are. Let me make sure I counted this right. They're two and seven yeah. in their last nine games. Um, I mean, it just some brutal ways to lose. Uh, East Carolina was brutal. Couldn't get a shot up. You lead Memphis by 15 in the second half and you lose by four. Um, you're up five at UCF with two minutes to go and you lose on free throws. And then Wichita State just kind of flopped over, uh, once the game got, when, went down by 10. Um, they're eight and 11. One and five in the conference. Uh, they have not won a road game yet. It's been it's been pretty horrendous here. Um, they they get Houston on the road on Sunday, uh, but oh, man, uh, it, what needs to be fixed? Uh, this is open to anyone, and I'll, I'll chime in with uh, my thoughts after. Oh man, can is there a way to turn off injuries in college basketball? <laughs> like uh, both 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 teams uh, alluding to what we're going to talk about in the future in a couple minutes here. But I mean, man, I, I honestly like it's one thing to lose Yetna like that and losing Kerr shortly thereafter, 
Oh, but man, it's just like, I just, I feel like this team can't catch a break. Uh, you know, it's it, obviously fantastic winning that CBI tournament. Uh, you know, I thought that was probably going to be the, the, the turning point of the program, as most of us did. Um, you know, something that we were going to build momentum off of. But you just, you see a lot of guys just regressing. Um, you know, we saw flashes of Justin Brown really improving early in the season, and then he got worse. Um, same thing with Q. Um, just a lot of not doing the fundamentals correct, not hitting free throws, you know, being too afraid to take shots like Xavier Castaneda has been. You know, there, there's a lot of issues on this team. It seems like it seems like they just got the air knocked out of them after, uh, what was that, the... Um, uh, which one? The which one of the Florida East State Carolina loss? loss? No, I mean even after you know, e- even after the Florida State loss, you know they they bounced back, beat Florida Atlantic, traveling to SMU took a took a really bad loss there. But when you come back and, and beat UConn the way they did, you're kind of saying, all right, you know this team can gain its confidence. You know they travel, you got a, a road game against East Carolina that it should be a winnable game, um, should be a game that they you know win by ten plus points. You know, to lay a dud there and then just continue to lay duds late in the game time after time. It's it's almost they're the most anti-clutch team in college basketball right now. <laughs> they they see like if they're up twenty with like a minute left, I still think they're gonna lose. Yeah, and uh and that's that's been fairly frustrating. I mean, across the board, LaQuincy Reduce numbers have just have been down. Um, he's shooting 36% from the field, 25% from three, shooting 47% from the free throw line. Uh, it, I, I don't understand it. Um, you know, this was a guy who tried to get a look at the NBA last year, and he's coming back his senior year, and this is the kind of performance that we're getting from him. I don't know if he's trying to push it to, to uh, you know, show off to scouts or what, but uh, – you know, I think that moving back the three-point line like they did this year has messed with this team more than I think we may have anticipated. Um, I think it's hurt their team defense quite a bit. Uh, you know, opposing teams are shooting 45% from the floor, 36% from three against them. And, you know, against UCF, you lose you lose by one. Uh, and UCF shoots nearly 50%, um, you know, against Memphis, even though they were down 15 late, uh, they were still shooting a good percentage. And I think that's kind of been the problem. Um, you know, you saw it early on against Boston College in the second game of the year. You know, USF would try to go on a run and, you know, they would they would score five straight and then Boston College would hit a three. And then USF would, you know, go down, score another five, and then Boston College would answer with like seven straight. And that was the kind of the the, the run that you got, uh, especially in the last game against Wichita State. But the team defense was pretty good early on uh, the first six minutes. I mean, Wichita State didn't score for the first, I think it was uh, ended up being like 540 of the of the game. But USF was only up 5 nothing. Um, you know, Greg Marshall said, you know, if if we're down fifteen nothing, I don't know if we come back, but we were able to keep it five nothing because you can pack the paint against USF because no one no one respects any of the shooters on this team this year. You, you you'll be okay, you know. If Justin Brown knocks down a three every once in a while, 
it it's been tough. I really I really expected him to take that next step, and he just he hasn't. He's shooting thirty two percent. He leads the team in three point attempts, and he's shooting thirty two percent. Hughes second and shoot twenty five percent. David Collins kind of falling off a cliff. Um, uh, he's shooting sixty three percent from the free throw line, twenty eight percent from three. Your two starting guards who are averaging, you know, over thirty minutes a game cannot be shooting both under thirty percent from three. And when you're handling the ball that much, it it's frustrating. To watch, I think I tweeted out during the game. You know, the grit and grind stuff that this team is was successful with. Last year is fun. It's bearable when you're winning, but it's absolutely brutal to watch when they're when they're going bad and they're they're going real bad. I'm not sure um, if the schedule will allow them to fix it. You're in a hurry. I was Steve, about to say, uh, after Houston, after Houston, what's their schedule? What's their next five games? Great segue. Uh, at Houston, at Tulane versus UCF at home, at Memphis, and then against Houston. So you're looking at. Oh, Essentially five, five straight losses because, I, I mean, first off, I'm going to give huge kudos and a, a shout out to uh, my good friends at uh, Fear the Wave. Uh, Ron Hunter has done magic at Tulane. He's 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 taken the Brian Gregory magic uh, this season and has Tulane basically back to or not back to, but uh, and to new heights that I don't think we ever saw coming. Uh, but Houston's fucking good. <laughs> Like, really fucking good this year. Um, we're probably going to lose to UCF because we always do. You're getting Memphis at Memphis, which is not going to be a fun place to play. And then, oh, look, we get Houston again. Um, I just, the only consolation you have in this is, I mean, after that you get against Tulsa, who's been kind of up or down, depending on who they're playing. You know, maybe they play down against They're, us. they're they first in the Memphis. conference right now. Just kidding. Tulsa is... Tulsa is first in the conference right now. Nate, who's That's, last in the conference last night, right now? I don't want to talk about it. I, I would assume USF. <laughs> it is. Let me check, though. Uh, I can confirm they are last. They are 1-5. UConn is 1-3 or 1-4. Depending, or, excuse me, they're 1-3 depending on if they beat um, Houston tonight. Which they are winning right now in the second half. Oh, good for them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're they're not going to win a game. They're not going to win another game this year. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that money. Mystic Rob. I yeah. <laughs> I just I I think this entire conference just got a lot a lot better this off season, and then we did it. I mean, frankly, you know, East Carolina took a huge step forward. Tulane took a huge step forward. Mm-hmm. I just I don't see a win on the schedule anymore. It's hard to where's lose the win, especially, so, you know, oh. as someone once said, where's the win? With, with, with college basketball being so high variance, right? Everybody's shooting a ton of threes. They either go in or they don't. So you got a high, high variance, right? I don't know. Like you, obviously it's not where you can't be, you can't play in a high variance league. Um, and not be able to shoot, and then especially not be able to close game out, close games out by hitting free throws and not giving back empty possessions. Like that's how teams get back in games, right? They foul you, they stop the clock, and then if you, you know, are shooting fifty percent on free throws, you're gonna have a lot of empty possessions. That's how people can chip away at leads, and that's been a problem, right? USF has a lot of, lost a lot of leads. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's kind of, there's not, I don't know. I think it, it's, it sounds simple, right? Everyone says make your free throws, but it, when, when you're up and you don't make your free throws, that's how people come back on you. And then if you can't, if you yep. can't, if you can't extend leads by hitting, hitting shots and hitting threes and kind of getting that variance to work in your favor, I'd be interested to see what their three point percentages and wins versus losses. Especially sounds, when your offense is kind of predicated on driving and drawing fouls. So it's like if you, yeah, they're, they're, free they're foul. They're like in the, just in the conference. They're, they're really good at, uh, they're second in the conference in free throw attempts. <laughs> they're 11th in free throw percentage. So, I mean, out of their draw teams. So, like, how bad is number 12 that you're actually worse than USF at free throws? Like, what's their, who is it? And do you have that? I can find it. I eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> but I would assume it's like, I bet it's like ECU or something. But like, looking, looking at the, the standings right now for men's basketball, there's only two teams in the conference with a losing record, and that's ECU and USF. Um, you know, UConn's one and three in the conference, but 10 and seven overall. Temple's 10 and eight. Um, two and five in the conference, two lanes, 10 and eight, two and four in the conference. I mean, the, this conference got good overnight. Um, you know, you always had the Houston, Cincinnati, Wichita State, Memphis, and then like UCF took a leap last year. Um, they, they've taken a step back because they lost everyone. And that's kind of, that's kind of the opposite of what we expected with USF. They kind of brought, I think they brought back like 97% of their scoring. Um, and we thought, Hey, this is going to be great. And then Lex tears his ACO and then Mayan Kurt leaves the team. And now you're left with just two bigs on the roster that, that, that are playable. Um, you know, Michael Dern and Antoon have improved over the last week or so because early on this year, they were, they were damn near unplayable. Um, especially on the offensive side of the the ball, they, you know, bunnies were not going in, and you know they tried to get Dur involved early uh, against Wichita State, and it it worked a little bit, um, but they've they've got to be able to get some more contributions from the post players, and you know this team, I think this team figured they would get a lot more calls this year. Um, either by just being good because good teams tend to get good call, get calls and being able to barrel into the lane and draw contact. And BG mentioned this uh, post game the other night. You know, these guys are trying to finish through contact and think they're getting fouled and they're not, they're not calling it. Um, I wonder if, if those guys are, you know, they try to bail themselves out by trying to draw contact. That's just not there anymore. I wonder if they feel that they're being officiated differently now because they kind of know the style of play that they're going to be in. Um, but it, they've got to figure it out. And I don't know if they're going to be able to figure out life without Lex um, this year. And then, you know, someone's got to step up. Someone's got to be able to really stop the bleeding because, as you mentioned, they're on a four-game losing streak. And then, Steve, you, you mentioned that schedule. And I mean that that four game losing streak can turn into nine real quick, and then you you lose pretty much all the momentum you created with that CBI championship. You know, uh, people are teetering right now, like, but got to realize this, 
this is year zero slash one. So we, I think we've got to be able to build on that. And it, it's going to be tough if they you know lose nine straight games. A little update here for the entire season. Uh, USF is dead last in the conference in free throw shooting. Oh, awesome. Go Bulls. 61%. I appreciate, I appreciate that update. You're welcome. That's, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just stat boy now. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tony Reale. Welcome to the good life. Well, uh, excuse me. Welcome to the good life. Um, I, I think the only kind of consolation you can say about the last, uh, I'd say, like two months of USF basketball is, I mean, Caleb Murphy's played well, <laughs> and Emmanuel <laughs> Oklahoma's playing well, too. Um, Luke Anderson enrolled and no great problems there. Uh, and then they uh, they uh, offered that JUCO uh, point guard. Uh, I think he's listed as a shooting guard. Shooting guard. I mean, hey, I, yeah, these things tend to work themselves out. Not uh, to to give a good quote for you there, Nate. I mean, you can kind of hope that it, now that we're in true what we kind of considered when Brian Gregory took over the program, uh, you know, give him uh, two year two two three years of crap, and then let's see what he does in year four. You know. The CBI championship obviously tilted the um, the expectations quite a bit. Um, right. You know, I don't think anyone any one of us saw that coming, uh, especially with the way that things happened the season before. But you know, hey, I I mean, I'm not like Heidi over there trying to call for Brian Gregory's head. I still think Brian Gregory's <laughs> probably one of the best coaches we have at USF. I mean, it's clear the you know the the impact he has on you know the the players that he brought in and and the community that he's he's gathered around. You know, I I just think uh, that CBI championship was the best and worst thing that's ever happened to USF basketball right now. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. I think that's kind of changed those expectations, and I think we may need to recalibrate. Um, you know, I think Jamie Jamie got us into a lot of trouble right after the the CBI championship game, saying, you know, guys, relax, it's just a CBI championship game. But from where USF basketball was, the CBI is a big improvement, but. Uh, to Jamie's point, there's still some kernel of truth there. Like, guys, relax. CBI, we're still, I think we're still far away from the, the end product here. And it's really tough to judge this season without Lex. And uh, I think, you know, this year's kind of, you know, throw your hands up. You get, develop some guys, figure out your point guard situation next year. Xavier Castaneda needs to be able to feel confident enough to shoot the ball. Um, I feel like he dribbles a little bit too much when he's in the game and forces things. He's going to have to figure that out. Um, you know, Zach Dawson may be a point guard option. David Collins may handle the ball a lot more next year, uh, but th- they've got to figure that out and they uh, sooner rather than later. And I think BG realizes that. Um, I think transitioning to women's basketball, um, yeah, One last thing before I forget, Nate. I wanted yeah, to bring this up absolutely. Uh, because of the CBI championship. Um, we, I think we talked about it briefly on one of the podcasts that typically the CBI champion um, usually will will have some string of success uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, we kind of right. expected USF to do that. Um, DePaul started the year 9-0. and um, The Obviously, we played DePaul in the championship game and um, they started the year nine and zero. Beat some pretty good teams uh, along the way: Texas Tech, Iowa, uh, Boston College. 
Um, now they are uh, ninth out of ten in the Big East. They are also one in five in the conference. And uh, misery loves company, baby. Yeah, they lost that one shooter. I think he's in like the G League on a two way contract with someone. Um, yeah, I can't remember his name, but that that one dude that was Butts? like, oh god, it was like a, I think it was like a, a Greek name. I can't remember, but it, yeah, he he's no longer there. But they, I mean, they still get biggie bodies for sure. Um, Tritz quickly transitioning to uh, women's basketball. Um, they beat Wichita State last night, um, but I mean, they had 25 turnovers in that game, and that. I mean, that's just unacceptable at any level, um, you know, partly due to youth and youth, I guess. Um, the only two people that did not have turnovers were the two upperclassmen, Shea Leverett and Tamara Henshaw. Um, four of the five starters had at least four turnovers. Uh, I mean, Jose said it best at halftime that these teams – both teams, Wichita State and USF, Wichita had 16 turnovers of their own during the game. They don't value the ball. They don't value each possession. And I think that comes with the territory with a very young team. Um, you know, young people are stupid. I'm not saying that this team's stupid, but they play stupidly sometimes. Some of their passes, their their motions, uh, I, they'll fix it uh, because it comes with experience and they've got a lot of international experience, but the, the college level's a, a bit different, and I think they're kind of seeing it here. And, uh, you know, the, the bright spot has been Sydney Harvey and, and Betty Manunga so far. Um, Sydney's really came on after missing the first portion of the year um, after her offseason knee surgery. Uh, it's been good to see, but they need to, you know, string together a couple more wins because I don't, I, don't, I don't see this team – uh, making a, a tournament run or getting into the, the NCAA tournament unless they beat UConn in the conference championship. And right now they're far away from, from that. Um, what, you know, Steve, I know, I don't know, Seth, if, if you're watching much uh, USF women's basketball here, but Steve, what, have, what have you seen? Uh, you know, you, you've covered some of the games. What, what needs to change for women's basketball here uh, going forward? That's a good question. It's this is probably the weirdest team that Jose's coached since I've been following USF um, athletics um, about four years now, and and paying more of my mind to uh, the most recent endeavors. I mean, they, the thing is, they just I don't I don't know what their problem is. It, it's I think they're. Obviously, you know, Jose brought in a quite a bit of a class. You know, these these aren't bad international players by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, you have a lot of experience with a lot of success with a lot of them. Uh, you know, whether they're playing international uh, FIBA tournaments or Maria Alvarez winning, what, six state championships. You know, they, I think you shorted her one. Probably. I mean, these aren't bad players by any stretch of the imagination. I, I maybe they're one of those teams that kind of needs to be, you know, humbled at, at times. You know, have these bad games and just be able to like, you know, take a really bad. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. That loss at UCF was terrible. You know, you there's no reason why we lose that. There's no reason we're on a three game losing streak to UCF in women's basketball. We've dominated them 
the last, these last like five years. Um, it, it's it's unfortunate, but you know this might be a dud year for Jose. You know he's been here for quite a long time. He you, you're rightfully given a dud year every once in a while, and, and unfortunately this might be his dud year where he has the talent. Mostly everyone's healthy, everyone's ready to play. You know Maria obviously going down with an injury is you know detrimental, but you should have had the experience behind her. You know with with plenty of players who have experience. I mean she was a freshman and she was. Um, you know, still making a lot of better plays. I, I think this is just a dud year. I think something needs to just happen that they need to regroup and, and get back into the win call. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. So, you know, I posed this question, you know, we do the rundown and so we can kind of stay on topic. Um, and this question, I think it needs to be answered. Uh, is the Maria Alvarez injury as big as Alexis Yetna's, and and we just haven't acknowledged it? Um, I, I will leave it to the floor to decide, and then again, I'll I'll chime in here. Um, yeah, so I, I I think there's you had the Pinzon injury, and then that she came back the game after Alvarez, and so then you lose two point guards. Alvarez is really starting to get going before that injury, and that was just a really I mean, scary injury to watch and just kind of see her teammates carry her off. Then you get Pinzon back. But because you lost both point guards in the way that you did, it almost feels like that tight. You you lose your point person on the floor, whether it's a freshman or sophomore. And that's, you have to figure out, get your footing to kind of figure out, okay, now who's going to run the floor? And Maria stepped up. It was really great. Then she, then she gets hurt. Pinzon comes back. And then there's a little bit of a learning curve there. I just feel like you go back and forth, you see the combination of those injuries, and yes, it is. It does have that impact because you keep having to figure out. Okay, now I got to tell my guys they got to do something different. I got to give them new roles. There's a little bit of a learning curve there, and that's how you lose games to like UCF, where all of a sudden you go ice cold or you get 25 turnovers on the road. It's kind of hard to teach your young your young players. This is how you you work in this environment while also telling them they have to do different roles because you keep having injuries, you keep having people coming in and out. That's my personal opinion here, but I think by, when it's all said and done, Marie Oliver is going to be a very decorated um, player for this uh, for Jose's squad. So, so how young is this team? Um, they have one senior and one junior that's played um, like at USF. Betty's a, a junior, but she came from JUCO, so the only two people that have and she's kind of gone she's through one of the better players, right? I would I would say right now she is the best player. Yeah. Oh, we have uh, so, Sylvia Surratt. She, she hasn't played ever. Oh, I, I thought you were just talking about juniors in general. Sorry. No, she just hasn't played ever. Right. She, gotcha. So, I mean, things that typically go with young teams are turnovers, and they turn the ball over quite a bit. Uh, 17 a game. I think, uh, it's like 16. Yeah. 16.9. Uh, so they're negative in the turnover margin. And Steve, weren't you saying they had a crazy good record at home? Uh, so yeah, like, that's another thing. Like, one. yeah. So yeah, nine and one. Yeah. So typically with young teams, right? They play pretty well at home, and then they'll also kind of another character. So they turn the ball over. So I think you might just be seeing a young team, and maybe you weren't you expected them to play better, but you know. 
I think that's that's they they have some kind of those some of those hallmarks of young basketball teams where it's tough for them to win on the road, and then when they play at home, they're a little more comfortable. They play better, and then you also have them turning the ball over a lot. So I mean, to me that that seems like it's just just kind of from the outside looking in, just looking at the numbers and kind of it just seems like a younger team. They're still like third in the conference in scoring margin per game. Their defense is really good. Yeah, it's just it's. Just, I think it. It's probably not too dissimilar to the men's team, where they're just not shooting the ball very well, and right. so everything seems more glaring. It seems more agonizing. Even if you win, it's a dogfight, right? But mm-hmm. you know, they're third in the conference in scoring margin per game. They're second in scoring defense. It's just their offense is lagging a little bit behind, which I'm sure everyone that watches would would could kind of see. Yeah, you know, as mentioned, they're they're two and seven uh, away from the Yingling Center, two and three in tr- true road games, and then they went zero and four in neutral site games, and uh, they you know they went zero for three in the in the Bahamas or wherever they went, and then they lost uh, out in Vegas. Um, you know, looking at the roster right now, you've got uh, Elena uh, Tisnecki, who's a freshman. Betty's a JUCO junior. Sydney's a sophomore. Maria's a freshman. Penzanza a sophomore. Christina uh, Brabensova is a freshman and is a, a junior, Richard Jr., I think. And she hasn't gotten much run lately. Tamara Henshaw is a senior. Jay's a junior. Uh, Beatrice Strodow is a sophomore. Christina uh, Bermeo is a freshman. Uh, there's just – it's such a young team, and I think – I think next year may you may see the leap where they're back to typical USF women's basketball. You know, sometimes you got to weather that that storm here. Um, you know, and, and it, I think when you compound it with last year, it makes this year look a little worse uh, because well, they're not injured, so they should be playing better. And well, the, that they're not in, they're not as injured as they were last year when uh, you know the, it was a, a mass unit out there. Uh, every night, um, but this year they're just super, super young, and it's you know you you can't you can't let you know well they're not injured so they should be good affect how they actually are right now and they're just super young. I would expect them to kind of figure it out late February, early March for the tournament, um, and and kind of gel a little bit more. You get more experience and more run. Um, this UConn game is going to, um, I think that's going to be a, a tall, uh, a tall task for them and a good barometer of where they need to be going into the future. I think it's like in February 12th or something like that. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But they um, have a, uh, they have a quite a tough test uh, to bring up something random. Uh, Tulane is six and zero. They've won seven straight. Or excuse me, Tulane is six and zero in the conference. They've won seven straight. Um, they're a, a sneaky team that I think if USF can pull out a win there, I think that might be a good comp. I mean, I know it'll be a good confidence booster for them, and they can carry that over uh, for at least a little bit longer up until leading up until that UConn game. Um, but yeah, no, they, I think that it, it, the UConn game is February sixteenth, and there's five games before that. Um, I, I think that we'll probably see quite a little bit more development come in. I think that game will be closer than, you know, 
it, it might should. Uh, I think you could still like have like a little bit of a down year right now. Uh, but you know, I, I think it'll be a good litmus to see you know where this team can excel at. At least uh, I know Jose's going to throw the deck at uh, Juno one last time at home. Yep, I agree. Um, is there anything else you guys want to kind of go over uh, that we may have missed? Otherwise, I think we're good here. Um, is is twenty still the number? And like a lot of times for the tournament, it's twenty wins. Usually, if you win twenty and ten in a conference, you're going to make the tournament. Is that the same for women's basketball as it is for men on the men's side? I think the the horrible losses uh, in women's basketball may affect you a little bit more than men's basketball. Like the I think they do the the women's basketball does the the quadrants now. Oh. Um, you know the Q one, Q two. Like you've you got to be in the the top two quadrants there um but they i think they've had some horrific losses like i think new mexico state or something like that yeah i was about to say um, that unlb loss is getting worse and worse UNL, yeah, unlb they, that's what it was oh god like they're terrible they were like really bad at women's basketball we lost like handedly to them yeah where's so te- it, where's, where did texas end up at are they um top 25 still uh, Texas is second uh, tied with TCU behind Baylor. Uh, well, then it's top 25. They are not. But, I mean, it's, it's still a good win. I think, you know, starting 4-0 kind of gave everyone a false sense of hope or expectation for this team. Um, they just they caught Texas on, on the right night, I think. Uh, but with that being said, I think we're done. Uh, we've covered it all. So, good night. Good luck. Thank you for listening to the Blue Mountain Podcast. For Stieg, Seth, Vito, and Nathan. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Jeff Scott. <laughs> cool.